Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Echelente, the behind-the-scenes podcast of Culinary Word of the Day. I am Jen De La Vega, your host, and I am here, bundled up again in Brooklyn. It's a chilly day. It's I don't a chilly, know why. Rainy day. It keeps happening. It does keep happening. I was I was out and about walking yesterday, and I had like a chill to my bones. And I'm like, it's not really cold, cold February, but it's like that wet cold that gets up inside of you. It's not great. And your name is again. <laughs> Alicia Book, coming from <laughs> Long Island. You're a dutiful researcher. Yes. Our, our steadfast researcher. Yes. Um, we actually saw each other recently. We did. We did. Um, which was great. Because it had been... Well, we, we saw each other in November. So we saw each other a couple months yeah. ago. So it was two times in like six two months. Two times. Is... That's pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> I don't even get to see my close friends two times in a year. So that's fantastic that's true I, I was actually thinking about that too the other day i was just like this is actually well should i i can tell them some news oh sure about- we ha- we have some news actually alicia has some news not me <laughs> it's not me well so we got to see each other because jen came out to my baby shower Yay! so during this whole lovely period of time of recording and researching i've actually been with child <laughs> I think it makes you think about food in a more uh, thorough and thoughtful way. Maybe. It was actually, it was, it did. Um, because there were so many other things on my mind about like food safety, which right. maybe makes a little bit more sense now. I was so excited about that topic because like, not only did I have to worry about that in a different way eating. Now, if I have to feed another little person, <laughs> I have to make sure she eats okay as well. So I was just like, how do we actually make sure that everything, I can make myself sick. Maybe that's okay. But now it's for two people. It's a little different. Um, uh, I think it's interesting that the, um, what you're not allowed to eat has been shifting. Did yes. you know that? Yeah. That uh, now wine is okay in small amounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They even have different like coffee guidelines. What? Yeah. So um, I think. I think they were just, you know, asking too much about, you know, asking people to give up coffee. It was just like, no, like we're, we can't do that. So there's like a certain amount of coffee. Eggs have some different policies as well. Really? Uh, because some are pasteurized, some are not. Depends Got where you it. get them from. Sure. Um, which changed the whole moose game dessert wise, if you will, because that I didn't realize walking into this pregnancy that I couldn't have like moose based desserts. Oh, no. Like, and that I, I could give up a lot of things, but that was that was difficult. Oh, no. Um, I know. It was terrible. Moose, right? And it, it's surprisingly on a lot of menus. Yeah. It's like a hot new dessert. I mean, it's not new, but <laughs> I just remember there was one time there was like a dark chocolate and peanut butter moose cake. And I was like, absolutely. I want this so much. This is one this is a difficult decision. I'm making this. I'm making the right choice and not eating this. But it was very difficult. Oh, my um, um, but so, yeah, so we saw each other, uh, and we were gathered with a bunch of your friends and I have to share a moment that was really heartwarming for me is, uh, you know, I was having conversation, getting to know, uh, your friends and mm-hmm. someone turned to me and was like, your voice, I know your voice, you're the podcast friend. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, it's me. <laughs> uh, it's always good when friends support you in your endeavors like this too. Yeah. Um, they were all very excited to meet Jen because I had been talking about her a fair amount. Um, so she's a sort Our of listenership. Like, yeah, sort of this enigma out there of like, who is this person that Alicia is like hanging out with and talking about food with? And I was like, well, you'll meet her maybe. I don't know, but it'll be great. It'll all be great. That was a very heartwarming uh, situation. I loved it very much. Um, And speaking of which, we are now just an open mailbox for feedback. If you are excited about something you learned or you tried a technique that we mentioned on the show, please do reply to us either on Patreon, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, Perhaps it's my uh, my time to make a Gmail for us. (laughs) Maybe I'll do that after the show and I'll put it in the show notes. But uh, we love to hear your feedback, especially if you learn something, because um, that just, you know, helps us keep going. It's always good to know. But you, you may, you may, maybe you made a difference in someone's culinary pursuits. Yeah. Yeah. And OK, so we actually only have two words to discuss because in our planning of season two, it was, uh, you know, not sets of three completely. So it's all right. We have We have two words to discuss. Today they are finish and leftovers which are perfect for the end of season two i think i agree with that i think just the two words to sort of finish off your meal if you will 
I had wow. to figure out how to make some weird pun in there. Wow. I probably could have done a better one, though. So good. But... So good. And so, yeah, just to remind you, season two was a collection of basic cooking terms that are in order of how you would encounter them in the kitchen or theoretically. Sometimes there are exceptions, but uh, it's great. Appropriate. We're we're finishing with finish and leftovers. So, Alicia, please hit me with your questions. Well, so finish, I thought was um, an interesting one while I was researching because it was a little bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. Yes. Because there's a lot of different meanings to finish a meal. One, you can stop eating. Completed. You have completed completed your feeding process. Which, interestingly enough, led me to a lot of diet culture things. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, this is not the path I want to take. But I thought for... You know, non-English speakers, this word might be a little difficult in that sense, just because yeah. I was like, this is taking you off a completely different path. And then there's the more culinary sense, or the, you know, I guess, culinary sense mm-hmm. of what do you do as a last minute touch to a meal? Is that an appropriate way maybe to think of it? Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. And I like the article that we cited in the episode, which is Claire Lower, uh, a person that I love following on Twitter. She is a resident food writer over at Lifehacker. And she makes this big distinction between finish and a garnish. So garnish is to make something look cool or like, you know, the, you know, decorative element. And to finish is adding a flavorful element. So a finishing touch is is where that comes from. That phrase is finishing touch. I think just anecdotally as a food writer, um, I've just read that's how we finish things. Like, you know, at the end of a recipe, you finish with the last few ingredients or the finishing touch. And no one has actually stepped back to write about that one particular tick that we have when we finish when we complete a recipe or write recipes it's it's fascinating because i see the language used everywhere it's just nobody explains it to you <laughs> and that was a little part of the like, like the problem i encountered was like you could see it everywhere but it, but if you didn't know or grew up around hearing the word you mm-hmm. wouldn't necessarily know the finishing the finishing touch part of it yeah so, and I think people conflate finish with garnish because, you know, we we haven't really teased them apart because in a lot of people's minds, they're the same thing. Um, But as Claire says, they are two distinct actions and we could argue one way or another, but the garnish part of things comes from Nouvelle Cuisine, which was very popular in the 80s and 90s. Like, you might remember this from any 80s movie or Brat Pack movie where fancy rich people are eating at a country club. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of food where there's a parsley that is not meant to be eaten. Pretty parsley. Yeah, like like the curly parsley that's just there and it's not actually part of the dish. That's a garnish. (laughs) And I feel like I also have like pictures of like cookbooks from like the 80s and 90s that are like very over stylized with the covers and stuff like that. Am I correct in that sort of genre? Definitely. That is Nouvelle Cuisine. Um, And if we're looking at like more of the definition of that stuff, like uh, there's like this formula. It kind of has this like 10 commandments. The rejection of excessive complication in cooking. Uh, Cooking times are greatly reduced to preserve natural flavors. Use the freshest possible ingredients. A shorter menu, stronger marinades. Heavy sauces are replaced by fresh herbs. It's it's fascinating. It's very, very French, but also very 90s. Like paying close attention to dietary needs uh, is is an it was a relatively revolutionary thing then. And I kind of love these days, though, that we are making a return or that it never left. Provincial cooking has never left. But like large format cooking is equally as valid and delicious you know, and deserves a finish as well. I probably at some point will need to explore those topics a little bit more because yeah. already they're already slightly over my head, but I think they'd be interesting to, in later seasons when we delve into some of that stuff, Yeah, that'll be kind of cool to get into. But yeah, finishing is is something that's kind of, it's a, it's a cool way to, to flex your, your culinary knowledge in the kitchen and it's a great way to use up stuff as well. To use up stuff. That's yeah. great. You know, if you have a, a bottle of oregano, a dried oregano that is like the last little bit 
and you don't quite have a recipe to to -hmm. finish it off, well, you could make your own little spice mix or flavored salt to finish dishes. Interesting. Yeah, just get a little ramekin, crush Mm -hmm. up that oregano leaf, uh, add like a few pinches of salt. There's some finishing salt for you. Interesting. I was actually at a place recently, um, the ramen place in my town, which is pretty good. Um, and they have like a little ramekin of spices on the table. Like, Aha! Make sauce. Yes. And um, I, I got I got like a, a rice bowl or something like that. But the spice blend, whatever it is, it, we've ordered it. We've gotten it delivered here and it's not as good because I'm like, it's that spice blend. It's the <laughs> it's to throw that spice blend on the end. I don't know what's in it, but it makes it so delicious. It's a, a finish. It's I a have a guess. Finish. Yeah, I have yeah. a guess of which one that is. It might be shichimi tokarashi, which is Japanese seven spice, which is something you can get in your pantry and have on hand. Furukake mm. is another finisher, uh, which is seaweed, um, mm. bonito flake, sesame seed. Lovely. Okay. It's definitely, yeah, it's definitely like a mix of different ones. And I I do not have the palate to tell you or the, <laughs> or the experience, maybe is the better word. To tell you, but I was, it was actually it's one of the first times I've encountered the, a spice blend on the table at mm. an Asian restaurant. It's interesting. Um, restaurant culture versus home cook culture is is interesting because I think there is a level of ego and control that uh, chefs want to have mm-hmm. over over their dishes, and some people will get insulted if you know they don't li- if you don't like the way they finished something. But other places might give you the opportunity to do the finish yourself mm-hmm. at the table which i find um fun and interactive and i think actually when we were talking or when i we have looked up ramen we're probably going to talk about it at some point mm-hmm. and i think that was one of the conversations about ramen was does the chef finish it or do they let you finish and different places have different opinions and styles yeah. and stuff like that. we can save that for another day because <laughs> uh, that gets a little more complicated so definitely um, Definitely. But it just, I, but I did not put two and two together until we were having this chat that I was like, I was actually, I had a finish on my table with yeah, a little bit of spice, a little bit of spice blend. And it, it really did make a little, the dish was fine on its own, but that little extra kick mm-hmm. brought it to life. There you go. That's what a finish is. Well, so I have to ask though, what is your favorite way to finish a dish? Oh my gosh. There are many ways. The funniest way, I will say, is to salt bay something. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means, except you don't like know salt, salt just, bay. I just, I, I hear salt bay and I think like, oh, is salt like your best friend or like your love? Like, and that's like you're hanging out with salt bay over there. Like, there... That's, my, that's my instinct right now. There was an internet sensation for a time who was a chef, steakhouse owner, uh, who has since uh, opened many uh, locations of his steakhouse. And uh, he had a lot of viral videos of him finishing large tomahawk steaks by um, he had a handful of salt, like Malden salt in his hands, Mm -hmm. and he would lift his elbow over the steak and then drop like the salt down the length of his arm. (laughs) And it would be this like hilarious sprinkling of salt. So he was referred to as Salt Bay for a long time. And uh, he is still... (laughs) doing that it's the funniest way to finish uh, a steak <laughs> but there are better ways to finish a steak i mean salt is always going to be good if uh you keep an eye on the salt content as you cook and mm-hmm. as you've tasted um adding more salt when it doesn't need more salt is a you know would be too salty but there are other ways to finish things so with uh compound butters mm-hmm. something is very hot like mashed potatoes you mm-hmm. make a little divot with your spoon and then you put a little compound butter in that little volcano top The caldera of butter. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Other things like a fancy olive oil. So say you've sauteed some vegetables with avocado oil. You can add another flavor dimension by finishing it with just a tiny drizzle of a differently flavored olive oil. So that's why most cooks will have an everyday cooking olive oil, which you can use on high heat preparations or a really fancy finishing olive oil which is a little bit more expensive but definitely more flavorful is there ever a time when that olive oil though can contradict the food oh yeah like, yeah like you can make the wrong choice but they can clash olive. yeah okay but you know right. you you must know your ingredients in your house so you must have tasted them <laughs> before you use them hopefully yeah we'll just we'll just definitely hope. Bl- yeah totally totally, totally, hope. totally well hopefully if you're buying expensive finishing olive oil you're not going to waste your money on something that you don't know yeah. Maybe that's a better way to think about it. There are some know. 
wonderful places that will let you taste the olive oil before um, you buy them. So like uh, places like a filling station. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that store where they have large jugs and then you can fill your own little jar or bottle. Those mm -hmm. places are also much more sustainable than buying uh, this, you know, different bottles and recycling them. You just bring mm -hmm. back the same bottle <laughs> and use it over, over and over again. That's really nice. Nice added effect. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if we can be a little bit greener, we're going to try to be a little bit greener. Mm-hmm. Try, 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 try. But back to favorite ways to finish a dish. Alicia, have you done this or you have developed a favorite way yourself? To finish something? Um, That's actually a good question. Um, I mean, I've done like putting a little sea salt on cookies and stuff like that. Oh, that's a great finish. Oh, yeah. You know, that was an experimental because I wasn't sure... Uh, if I was gonna like the overly salty taste, and then I mean, once I feel like once you kind of get into that, though, like there's no going back, you know. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I love a good like lime zest on different things. Yeah, and that took me like a minute to like not mess up because <laughs> you can mess that up depending on what you choose to make. But like that um, on some different like chicken and even like a little steak sometimes mixing it like peppers and onions are my go to like mm -hmm, veg mm -hmm, mm -hmm. easy to saute easy to eat raw depending you know what I mean like you throw them in a lot of stuff so that's like I sometimes make a big batch and like they're in the fridge mm -hmm. and that when you add a little like lemon or lime zest I go for lime mostly but can kind of per spice up perks it up perks it up or on yeah. broccoli even on broccoli Ooh. the little lemon. That's nice. Yeah. And broccoli, I feel like I've been able to do away with butter or oil sometimes and just steamed broccoli with a little lemon zest if you <gasps> really want like a very healthy way to eat broccoli. Wow. That sounds great. I actually yeah. haven't even done that myself. It's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting combination. And like I think I found like a little bit of salt in sometimes, but like if you really want it to be like you want steamed broccoli and you don't really want to add too much of anything else and just like a little bit of lemon, if you want a very healthy way to eat broccoli. Not for everyone, but yum. It's yum. It's like it's a good way to like give it a different flavor and still sort of not you're not eating a ton of extra stuff on there. It's good. Yummy. Yeah. Ugh. I I encourage everybody to come up with your own house finish. So it can be oil based and it can be spice based. It could be a spice mix. It could be uh, an herb oil that you keep in the fridge or it can be a spiced oil that you keep in the fridge. Like um, you could do turmeric butter or mm. sesame oil with just sesame seeds mixed in. Um, for a wedding, I, I made their own uh, sumac finishing rub or actually functioned as many things. It was a dry rub for chicken that we were grilling. But then after that, I started using it as a finish for just steamed rice. Yum. Yeah. Or just toast uh, with butter or bagels and cream cheese and just adding this like sumac MSG and bay leaf powder on top. Oh, my. I feel like that could go on a lot of starchy things. and oh, taste yeah. really good. Oh, roast potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. So that oh. one's a multifunctional. So it can go on before and after. So question about that, though. Can you then over accidentally over season if you've used it in your main dish you cook it mm. you pull it out and put it on top is there how do you know if there's too much is too much ah yes uh when when the herbs or spices are like sticking to your lips and you can't taste the actual thing that you're trying to eat you might have gone overboard <laughs> too much i mean i've definitely had to dust off <laughs> french fries before that i like mm -hmm. accidentally spilled like a whole cup full of salt on like <laughs> it was an accident oh. um these things happen um mm -hmm. and the only way to get rid of that much salt is to dilute it with another starch or you know superfy it the plate yeah yeah but um it's i mean you can avoid these things by tasting along the way mm -hmm. as you are cooking you know especially being careful around raw meats but you know, if it's a soup situation, uh, you can always taste as you go and adjust accordingly. So we've talked about the five flavors before on the show, I think in one of the earlier episodes mm -hmm. um, and how they interact. But maybe let's revisit them a little bit because I don't remember all of them off the top of my head. Sure. Yeah. We have uh, sour, bitter, salty, sweet and savory slash umami, which is a, a contested fifth subject that is now becoming more accepted. But to revisit this concept, these five flavors are things that we as humans can recognize and uh, 
chefs use these concepts to achieve balance. Uh, that's what we talk about when we say a dish is balanced. It has these elements that are kind of pushing and pulling and resulting in a delicious dish. So sometimes the finish can help round out with some of these flavors. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, just to reiterate, I'm going to read a bit from the Flavor Bible. Okay. And these are these are some excerpts. And folks, it's a highly recommended book. If you do not have it, it's a great reference to have. Um, but, you know, I love I love opening it and looking at it all the time. So every delicious bite you've ever tasted has been a result of these tastes coming together on your taste buds. Um, we taste them as individual notes and in concert. That's something that you should remember about this. So each taste affects the other. Um, for example, bitterness suppresses sweetness. In addition, different tastes affect us in different ways. Saltiness stimulates the appetite while sweetness satiates it. So these are things that are, you know, it, it's pretty cool once you realize how they work together. I was just thinking of like salty and sweet snacks and how sometimes you, like, I will start with a salty snack and kind of round it out with like a sweet one later. And you're like, yeah, right, I have potato chips, then the cookie. Okay. I mean, your biggest examples are, what is it? Kettle corn. Right. right Kettle right, corn right. and trail mix, right? Mix. You've yes. got your pretzels, you got your nuts and then bits of chocolate and raisins. Yeah, you're sweet and and salty. Isn't that nice? Sweetness can also bring out the flavors of other ingredients from fruits to mint. Okay, let's see. Salty, it's the single most important taste for making savory food delicious. They call it salt is nature's flavor enhancer. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. Sourness is sort of the acidity in a dish. That's you, know, you might hear those two interchangeably. But balancing a dish's acidity with its other taste is critical to the dish's ultimate success. So uh, a dish that works really well with sourness is guacamole. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. You've like got lime butter- in there. Yeah, the butteriness of the avocado mixed with sort of like the acidity of the lime. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. There you go. Got that. Bitterness is... You know, a lot of people think, oh, I don't like bitter food. As an adult, my palate has changed and Mm -hmm. I've learned that you need it. You need bitterness. And uh, they say here, it's more important to certain people than others. Some chefs see it as an indispensable cleansing taste, one that makes you want to take the next bite and the next. Has this ever happened to you where like you've had something that's very rich, but you couldn't keep eating it? I mean, my first instinct is to say like dark chocolate with this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. You know, like, I mean, a dark chocolate mousse, quite frankly. You don't really want a whole, like, you don't want a, a giant thing. You could have a giant slice of cake in theory. You know, yeah. I could picture that. But I don't want a giant thing of dark chocolate mousse. This is why like, at weddings, the slices of cake are very, very small. Uh, <laughs> okay. You have right. too much of a good thing. You can't. No, because it's just, it's too rich. And it's, I feel like it's also a little bit of an adult thing as well, though, because you do see kids eating that whole cake. Going to town. Going to town. town. (laughs) They got that kid from Matilda eating the whole chocolate cake. (laughs) Oh, Uh, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, bitterness has a role of cutting richness. Mm -hmm. And that makes you want to go back for more. And we might not know that that that's happening in the dishes. But as a a person who is now, you know, making food for other people, Mm -hmm. it's something that you have to consider. Is there a dish that you can tell us, like, off the top of your head that we eat a lot of that we wouldn't realize like that's what's happening or Um, something that gets served maybe at weddings or at a fancy place. So a lot of this happens in salad. So uh, radicchio is very bitter, but it gets cut with lemon juice. So it it appears very mellow, but you need that bitter to like fill out the rest of the blank, you know? Well, well, it keeps the salad more interesting. Yeah. Like otherwise, it's cute. It's cute and purple. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, aesthetically interesting, yeah. taste-wise interesting, you know. Arugula can have a little bit of a bitter note, but it also has a spicy note, which mm-hmm. is fun a fun thing. <laughs> well, I feel like a, like a, I'm just thinking of like a chicken pesto sandwich with arugula. I feel like that gives it a little bit more of a kick oh, yeah. where it could be a little, depending on the kind of the pesto you have, it can be bland if it's not that great. And <laughs> the chicken, well, can be, I'll be realistic, pesto can fall flat if we're not, if you're, it's not good pesto. But the arugula can sometimes bring that home and kind of like change that taste of that sandwich and make it like a very tasty sandwich. Yeah. Uh, and then we have umami, which is uh, there's a growing evidence of a fifth taste umami. I think this book was written a while ago. So uh, it's often described as the savory or meaty mouth 
filling taste that is noticeable in ingredients such as anchovies, blue cheese, mushrooms, and green tea, and in MSG. So uh, those are our five flavors. And yeah, if you, you know, look at a recipe, you can sort of look down the ingredient list and tell, you know, which ingredients are lending which flavors. So, you know, if you're pickling something, the vinegar is the acid, Mm -hmm. right? If you have sugar in there, that's your sweet. (laughs) And so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. I feel like actually pick, like if you're pickling things yourself, this would be a very good way to figure out the different finishing tastes. Oh, like if, yeah. If you wanted to experiment just to see if like for yourself to taste different things, take up, you know, bland cucumber and just try like different ex- like mixtures of stuff and mm-hmm. like see if you can pick out the taste when you're done. Um, if you're bored, I feel like that could be a fun way to spend a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Like a whole test kitchen battery <laughs> with a chart. And everything. Well, well I'd I'm be just so impressed. Right. I'm well, just trying to think. Like, if you really wanted to like play around with flavors to try to test yourself or like get better at like mm-hmm. throwing a little bit of like sugar with like a little bit of ginger or something like that, I feel like that would be a great way to learn how to do it without too much expense or food yeah. waste. Yeah. Yeah. You know, still have a good pickle at the end of the day, hopefully. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great idea. You can also do bread with um you know different ramekins of of spice mixes or cream cheese with different sprinkles on it that's a fun way to do it um but because i have this book out the flavor bible alicia let's illustrate some of this uh give me a random ingredient and i'll try to look it up here like a like a any ingredient (laughs) all right let's do ginger ginger all right let's look for ginger um, the way this book is organized, it, it's not quite a dictionary, but okay. what it will do is list the ingredients in order, alphabetical order, and then uh, has a list of other things that may or may that that uh, chefs agree go with it. So okay. the way that they put the book together was they interviewed a bunch of chefs, and the the common answers, the most common pairings are the ones that are like bold and in all caps. So okay. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna look for ginger and see see what the entry is. Uh, all right, ginger season year round taste sour slash hot uh, volume loud. I like that they have a volume for it. Techniques baking and stir fry. Hmm. So uh, in all caps we have ginger ice cream and uh cream so heavy cream and ice cream we also have curries we also have fish that pair with ginger really well honey lime juice galleons soy sauce sugar Mm. um from that i'm starting to pick out like whoa like a lot of asian cuisines east asian cuisines are Mm. are, uh common here but uh let's see Uh, the not so common pairings we got apples basil uh chicken Mm. Beverages, mm. beverages in general, <laughs> chili peppers, <laughs> chocolate. Ooh, interesting chocolate. Cilantro, cinnamon, cumin, garlic, uh, lemon, lemongrass, mint, molasses, passion fruit, pears, rum, especially dark rum. Uh, sesame stories. oil. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. <laughs> sesame oil, shellfish, shrimp, soups, uh, and turmeric are the most common. Um, there's a whole long list of things here as well, like butter, uh, hmm. uh, cashews, ricotta, <laughs> apricots. <laughs> so it's like a wide spectrum of things that span the five flavors. Right, because then you give ice cream or cream, yeah. and then you have soy, and you're like, and, or soy sauce, and curry, yeah, and curry. So like those are very different. You know, you're picking out different things for that meal right there. Yeah, I say she kind of makes me want to have like a ginger start to finish meal, but that's a lot of you know. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Like a ginger based meal, you know, good for your stomach. Yeah, good you know? for your gut at least. <laughs> um, oh, that's so interesting, though. Yeah, and so you know, knowing that, mm-hmm. knowing that list I just said, that that means that you know, there's a lot of flavor affinity between the things that it listed as common ingredients. So, you know, say, you know, we do have ginger as the main ingredient here, but, you know, what if we stuck basil and chicken in there? Those two can already go together. I mean, I think cashews was on that list. Yeah, cashews on that list. And then I think some cumin and then you've got a good, then you got a good cashew chicken curry going on. There you go. There you go. So it's really flexible. So when you're, when you're thinking about finishing a dish, though, Mm -hmm. 
we want to think about uh, filling in the blank of what has not been fulfilled during the cooking process. That's a great way to think about that. Yeah. Um, the Mad Libs. The Mad yeah. Libs of cooking. The finishing <laughs> move is the Mad Libs of cooking. And another thing to think about also when it comes to aromatics specifically, I've done some research when making pots of chili. Mm-hmm. There's this phenomenon that chilies and soups and stews are better the next day. Like if you keep it in the fridge, you've cooled it down, mm-hmm. um, that something happens with the aromatics. They develop uh, more fully okay. um, and they hit your palate in a different way. So sometimes in chili cook-off competitions, yes, they've made some part of the chili ahead of time mm-hmm. um, and develop the mellow flavors that way. But you want to introduce more brightness and acidity toward the finish when it's about to be judged. So people will do more, um, they call it spice dumps. They will add more spice toward the end, um, not just at the beginning, to um, kind of bring the circle round again. Like imagine that the flavor is a balloon that Mm -hmm. is slightly deflating, but it's still technically a balloon. Right, right, right. (laughs) So you're adding more air, but... By, by adding very... more um, and then spices and then finishing it with what sour cream, shaved chocolate, more chili powder, a chili that's oil. In, that's interesting because, like, I, you know, I always sort of wondered why the chili competitions are so intense, if you will. Yes. Um, I mean, and I, so, to some degree, you get it. Like, there's like a lot of different things you can put in a chili to make it good. You know, like mm-hmm. there's you know multitude, but. It does seem a little like, all right, this is multiple state fairs, which we've talked about the state fair cuisine yes. a little bit. So that did come up once or twice as a chili. But that makes more sense if there's like, um, not only are you cooking with X amount of ingredients, but there's also like a last minute technique that you can do to change it up. Because that's a very, that's a very interesting way to go about a cooking competition. I mean, that's that, technically finishing. Yeah, yeah. And that's so interesting because that's like a little sneak attack at the end. And like that's where you're, <laughs> it is. that's like where you're real, like, you know, those cards you hold close to your chest. Like that's where it really sneak comes attack. in. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I like that. The sneak attack. Oh, man. Yeah, but that's the overview back of, uh, you know, overview of the five flavors that register on the tongue for that's... for our listeners. <laughs> so I feel like we could also maybe round this out with what are some of the more interesting or unusual combinations that you've used yourself maybe or you've come across that maybe somebody at home would be like, oh, my gosh, I could never do that. Or, like, that sounds so wild. Like, honestly, actually hearing putting chocolate into the chili sounds a little wild. Ah, yes. But now that I heard, like, the list of ginger stuff, I'm like, okay, so, like, maybe there is a bunch of stuff in chili that, like, the bitterness with the chocolate could, like, meld together a little bit and Mm -hmm. they could round each other out. Is there anything else that kind of comes to mind that falls into sort of, like, a fun and unusual category? Well, uh, a a concept that I've sort of um, adopted in a lot of my cooking is when I look at a recipe and I see lemons, I think about other citrus that could possibly take its place. So, you know, like family members. So if we have a chili recipe with a certain kind of bean, what can I switch out there? A different okay. kind of bean. Um, <laughs> you know, they may vary in cook time, but you are this is where you get into recipe development because you are experimenting and and throwing spaghetti at the wall sometimes literally mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but uh it doesn't feel impossible to switch out you know the lemon and hummus for a lime or a grapefruit cuz you'll get you know different notes you're going mm-hmm. to get a different aromatic compound from the lime you're going to get a bitter note from grapefruit um and i think that's so much fun yeah <laughs> That's like a be- that's like a the beauty of cooking, I think too. I mean, you have to get to a certain, I think, confidence level to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is like an interesting way to think about, like how the different how the different finishes will affect the food, in positive and negative ways. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and I do love finishing fish and similarly my hummus bowls with orange zest (laughs) my zester is my friend I never waste zest anymore even though a recipe calls for just the juice I'm going Mm -hmm. to zest it into a plastic container so that I can keep that for another another dish never waste the peels you can also have great cocktail garnishes with that true true it's funny I mean um 
like Madeline cookies over the holidays. Yum. And called for, you know, citrus zest and different recipes called for like lemon or orange. So, and I think I ended up using like a little bit of lemon, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I tasted the cookies and I was just like, just not enough zest in here. Like there's, this could have had like a little bit of juice in here and they could have, cause it was just like, they're, they're hard and easy cookies at the same time, but um. You can get the cookie, you can make it, and it's a good cookie. It's fine. It's a suitable Madeline cookie. <laughs> but it's not but it's not like, ooh, I'm like loving this. Like it's it's it'll if you have it with some coffee or tea, it's fine. And I had someone taste some, they're like, Well, this could have really used like a little bit of lemon. And like tried to be very nice about it. It's like, there is lemon in there. She needs a lot of lemon. She needs more lemon. <laughs> need more maybe, lemon. More and maybe even like at the top at the end, it's sprinkled on top. And that you really could. did like the extra kick instead ah. of that is one one thing you could do with baked goods. You can put your lemon zest, excess lemon zest, in some powdered sugar. That sounds delicious. Yeah, and then you have your little seasoned sprinkle. Yeah, a finishing lemon zest. There you go. Just make sure it's not clumpy. <laughs> just sift right, it. right. Got to <laughs> sift that. Make sure, because otherwise you're just eating lemon cookie and not in the way you want a lemon cookie. Let's see, uh, unusual. So I, I I don't know. Unusual is such a hard term for me because I don't think anything is impossible. Uh, <laughs> That's a great way to go about it, though. But uh, one thing that I do like looking at a lot is cheese pairings because that's where you'll get a lot of radical um, flavor combinations. Mm-hmm. Like my favorite interesting combination is blue cheese with dried cherries and dark chocolate. I've been mentioning a lot of dark chocolate <laughs> so far. But it is one of my favorite flavor combinations I've ever had. I feel like dark chocolate is an interesting um, base almost. Like there's a blandness to it. It's not bland by any means, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a little bit of a palate cleanser, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to, you can pair it with a lot of interesting things and it can still hold its own, but also enhance other things. Yeah. It's probably why you see so many different variations of dark chocolate, like sitting in the supermarket. Like you've got so chili many. dark chocolate, orange. You've, I've seen ginger dark chocolate now that I'm thinking about it, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, dark chocolate potato chips you know what I mean it, so it's an interesting I think I'm not surprised that we can come back to dark chocolate I guess <laughs> maybe, I'm not unhappy about it either like if we're all being more realist <laughs> oh boy we're gonna have to delve into cacao later on uh, on the show sometime it'll be a, a big one I really think that's a whole episode right there <laughs> yeah <laughs> so <laughs> all right uh, let's, let's go on to our last word of the season Right. How do I feel about this? I don't know. Oh my gosh. It is the biggest word, but also Mm -hmm. the smallest word. Like, it's such an easy concept, but also so large to me. So we're talking about leftovers. Yeah. (laughs) Which is, I I agree. It's a big and small topic because the funny thing is leftovers also has different meanings in different places. Yes. Which is like one of the things that like when I was researching, I kind of found different cultures treat leftovers differently. Um. Mm -hmm. Which, and I'm not sure, and I found, so this is actually one, I'll do like sort of anecdotally, one contradicting thing that I kind of found was that, so American portions are bigger comparatively to other places. Yes. But we also take doggy bags home. We take leftovers home with us. It's not unusual. It's almost encouraged, if you will, depending on where you are. In other places, this is not as encouraged. I don't know this personally. I haven't lived in a place, you know what I mean, that Mm -hmm. or gone out to eat enough in other places where I would take things like back to a hotel room. So I say this, you know, with some, I guess, trepidation, but so, so I thought that was sort of an interesting concept of like, you know, is the concept of a leftover from a restaurant, like an American concept to a certain extent? Like, are you, when you go out another place, I don't know. I'm actually, I'm asking this maybe to Jen, to maybe our listeners, you know, um, if you get a smaller portion of other places, does it look weird or something like that to take it home with you? And I think that that was like another added layer to leftovers, if you will. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good thing to to bring up. Um, yeah, portion sizes are much smaller in other countries, and uh, some of them just prepare food to um, the amount that you would need. And this is this is actually something that was illustrated in an anime. <laughs> I have been researching and watching a lot of food based anime or Japanese animation, and there's this show called wakako zake and it's a it's two minutes only every episode is like two three minutes and mm-hmm. it's about a 26 year old woman who has worked all day at the job at her job <laughs> and goes to a restaurant enjoys it and then sighs 
<sighs> like nice. Oh wow. <laughs> but what you know what you notice when you watch this is she eats really small dishes. So it's like mm-hmm. half of a salmon fillet or a little bowl of edamame. And in the live action series, she goes to multiple places. Um, so dining at one spot is kind of a cultural thing, mm-hmm. I think, in the West. Um, but around like around the rest of the world, uh, even like in Spain, uh, tapas, you can go to multiple places in a night. And so mm-hmm. the, the concept of a doggy bag doesn't really exist because everything is so much smaller. Right. Yeah. And, and so, you don't want to carry that food to you to each place. Yeah. If you're going that's another thing. Refrigeration is not as consistent either. Because you know, it's, it's electricity. It's a big-ass appliance. <laughs> yep, it is. To store whatever you're going to store in there. Um, and if it's not the most important, if it's not imperative things that you're eating every day, it doesn't need to take up room. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a, a really funny cultural thing that I discovered about Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up in California, spent you know, my high school period of my life in Southern California, but I've never rented an apartment in Southern California. And so it was really funny to learn um, from my friends who are moving back and forth across the country that uh, refrigerators are not uh, standard. They don't come with uh, apartments now. You got to buy one. (laughs) Oh, wow. I've never had to buy one in New York. No, neither (laughs) have I. I've I've scary thing. They're very large. They are very large, and I, I actually, I mean, we we own our first home, and I did not buy the refrigerator that is currently in my home. Oh, wow, that, we inherited that with the house. Nice, uh, which is not unusual. Um, but we've lived in, I mean, between New York and Long Island, we've lived in four apartments, and we've never bought a refrigerator, but yeah. dishwasher once. But that that was appropriate. So uh, we have this concept of leftovers because we have somewhere to put them. Right. Which is is really interesting. And it's not to say that leftovers don't exist in these other countries or other spaces. It's just that they are treated differently. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, day old rice. Like, uh, My family has been known to keep rice in the rice cooker all night mm-hmm. because it has a, a keep warm function. But over the course of that time, the rice has dried out, which makes it perfect for fried rice. And which so we've t- I think we've talked about the fried yeah. rice before. Yeah. Yeah. There's this functional use of, of the leftovers, like never wasting it, but mm-hmm. it has another life, which is interesting. That's that's actually like a nice way to sort of put it is that it, because like a lot of people do treat leftovers as like, what can I do next with you? And like, yeah. how can I, um, and once again, I think there's a confidence or intuitiveness that comes with that. Um, but it's a fun way to think of leftovers too. Yeah, I think it's a really internet age thing to so there's a distinction now because leftovers is this like very large family of things like it Mm -hmm. it could mean various uh, types of leftovers. But now there's this distinction between leftovers and leftover hacks, (laughs) which is the leftover hack is repurposing the leftover food Mm -hmm. into something else that's new. And right. I had a, a long period of my life where I, I loved experimenting in, in this uh, mm-hmm. genre, food genres. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think you told me a little bit about your Thanksgiving leftover. Oh, yeah. My Olympics. I call it my personal Olympics. Yes. I love Thanksgiving leftover parties. See, that's a whole, I mean, well, let's get into that in a second. Sure. I would do, I want to talk about the Thanksgiving Olympics. So great. Um <laughs> But but so let's give, make it a little bit easier though. What is your current though easy favorite leftover food though? Oh, pizza, pizza. hands down, pizza. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that one. Well, okay, so <laughs> if you get a food license, a food safety license in New York, mm-hmm. one of the foods on the test that you can leave out overnight safely is plain cheese pizza. Really, it does not need to be refrigerated. The cheese is okay. It yep. doesn't. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I mean, unless you're using fresh, fresh mozzarella, then maybe right, I would right. ref- I would refrigerate that. But um, the low skim milk mozzarella, <laughs> low moisture content mozzarella is perfectly safe after it's been uh, baked on a pizza overnight. And that makes, yeah, I was just saying that, that reassures so many college and 20 year old Alicia moments. Well, yeah, you didn't like, get sick, this- right? 
No, I didn't. So <laughs> I mean, I kept go. doing it. But now I'm just like, okay, like maybe I was more of an adult than I thought I ever was. <laughs> so I, knowing that though, I have very much accidentally left pizza out overnight many times that has had pepperoni on it or like sausage and I still ate it and I didn't die yeah probably fine (laughs) I think pepperoni is much safer when it's completely dried out and crispy so there's no like water activity happening that's like the one thing that people are afraid of is the water activity that can create bacteria and uh, and encourage mold growth yeah but I will I will eat a a day old pepperoni pizza that has been out on the counter. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I just learned about the cast iron pizza cooking, reheating, which I did not know about. Oh when yeah. Take, delicious. When you take a cast iron pan, cut like a couple of drops of water in and then put your pizza in there and to reheat it. It's changed cold pizza for me. It's changed day old <laughs> pizza for me, to be perfectly honest, which I was never I was never a huge fan of because I don't I don't like love cold cheese like that. I'm just yeah. like it's not my it's delicious though. If anyone's out there, you got some pizza sitting in your fridge or on your counter, depending on what you did last night. You know, <laughs> try it if you have a cast iron pan, or I think it works in a frying pan as well. Um, but I don't mm-hmm. know if it's as good. But a couple of drops of water and you just heat it up and it gets crispy and melty and cheesy in a way that the microwave could never give you. No, the microwave steams the crust too much. Yeah, and then it gets rubbery. And if you if you overdo it, yeah, it's rubbery. Yeah. And I over well well during this pregnancy i've had to i have to i cannot eat the leftover pizza because you have to be careful about that even though it's Mm. probably fine so i have to steam i have to make sure everything is steaming if it's a leftover um so i've had to switch to grandma pizza because it's a better it's much easier to heat up in the microwave or oven than regular pizza is the crust kind of still gets a little not great but it's better than yeah normal but that cast iron though that was a game changer for that cold (laughs) pizza reheat love it um in the last eight months of my life it, so. Yeah, cast iron mimics the temperature setting of a of a wood fire oven. So, on a smaller scale, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> but. All right. Uh, what else do you have uh, for me under leftovers here? Well, we've also talked a little bit about recipe development. Ah. Um, so, I how does leftovers play a part in like how people are looking at recipe development currently? Currently, I can't speak for other people, but okay. for me, I I have sort of coined this concept of pipeline cooking, or um, it's it's like a more advanced meal planning. So the way that okay. I describe this is, um, so say I roasted some butternut squash. Uh, I always make double batches of everything um, because I intend to use the leftovers. So, you know, I'm doing basic meal prep stuff. So I'm roasting a butternut squash. Mm -hmm. And so my leftovers gets turned into soup. And then those leftovers I can use as a base to make butternut squash vegan queso. Yeah. What? Yeah. There's a really wonderful Serious Eats recipe for butternut squash queso. (laughs) That's like a good one to know. Like a good vegan queso recipe. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So... I think about this because I want to manage the inventory in my home. <laughs> you know, well, like apartment I, I, living, you have to. It's it's trying to it's it hinges on this concept of fridge clean out, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you're trying to use up things that are not from recipes. And so a lot of that cooking gets folded into this pipeline way of thinking that I have. So this sounds like it's a big concept thing though. Like how kind of, if I'm looking at like, say I'm just looking at the butternut squash, what do I have to think about though, in terms of all these different layers of cooking? Like, you know, like, what do I, like, I guess I'm not going to the store if I'm thinking about how do I get rid of stuff in mm. my kitchen, but how do you visualize this kind of stuff? Like do you write everything down or is it just sort of, it's in your head and like you've been cooking for such a long time at this point? Like how does that work? <laughs> This is a great question. Um, A way that I would address this exercise is to take an ingredient and write down all the possible things that you would want to make with it. And then from that list, think about the order of operations. Like how broken down can it be for you to use it again in another thing? Or are you just portioning the whole thing to make five different dishes? Because that could work too. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So that's like one dimension of meal planning that uh, I like to do is is take an ingredient or a concept and then imagine the leftovers and what can I do with this already cooked thing, already sliced thing. So if I start with a basic, like roasting a squash Mm -hmm. or caramelizing onions, what can I do with that? So caramelized onions, they can go on anything. They can go on a lot of stuff. They can go on your sandwiches with sausages. Um, You can use them as a base for French onion soup. So I like to think about all of the possibilities of an ingredient before I even start cooking. And and that's how I make a to-do list of, of what I'm going to be making that week. I won't lie. That sounds a little overwhelming to sure, a novice cook. I get cook. it. I get it. So, but it's a fun thing I think to aspire to or to keep on the back burner. Yeah. Of like, what's kind of a goal I could get to? Actually, I think the butternut squash I think is a little. Oh, that one seems like a very more more of an involved process. But the caramelized onions, though. Yeah. In my head right now, I'm like, I could even throw them on that cold pizza the next day if I really there wanted you go. to. They could go in eggs. That one I think is like it's almost depending on which kind of thing you're picking might be easier to envision this sort of broader yeah aspect Pipe, of it pipeline yeah pipeline the pipeline so using your peppers and onions example that you like to make all the time mm-hmm. uh that can go into fajitas that can go into omelets that mm-hmm. can go on toast like a little guac and, yeah, and, and, and a little lime finish boom <laughs> <laughs> bringing it full circle i love that all right. What else is bothering you about leftovers? Um, I think a good one is what should we freeze? What shouldn't we freeze? And like uh, what? And like what can we? Like what is good a couple of days later? Uh, which we talked. We sort of talked about with the chili a little bit, but um, mm-hmm. and if that's too broad, we can kind of narrow that down. But I mean, we're talking about leftovers specifically. So mm-hmm. remembering back that our our freezing. Uh, the amount of time something is is frozen, mm-hmm. the next rounds introduce more liability of growing mold and bacteria whenever it's defrosted. So at maximum, you want to freeze things only twice in their lifetime. And when you're getting food from restaurants, you're not exactly sure how many times something has been frozen. Mm-hmm. So knowing that, uh, you know, you can only really save leftovers once, mm-hmm. assuming they have already frozen it. But if you know that a restaurant has made something super, super fresh for you, like the chicken has never been frozen, <laughs> um, then you could uh, freeze it up to twice. But the way to get around that is to portion the food into, you know, your meal sizes and then freeze it. So you don't have to defrost the entire casserole, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. then uh, refreeze it. So so freeze things in portions uh, to get around that that freezing rule. Um, but uh, yeah, like the foods that are better to freeze are are on the heartier side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I always put away a half a loaf of bread before I even consume it. Like I already automatically put away half a loaf of bread in the freezer because I know it's going to mold before I even get to it. <laughs> That's really smart, actually. Um, that's because, like, how often do you actually ever finish? If you're, I come from a large family. It's only if it's you're sort of living by yourself or in a couple or a couple roommates. That loaf of bread probably will not get eaten before. Yeah, you know, it's <laughs> it's time to get rid of it. I've yeah. made a mistake many a time. Yeah, especially with like artisanal breads that you can slice into thick portions. Mm-hmm. That's always fun to freeze individually. And then so you have like ready to grill, ready to toast bread. That's that's always amazing. Um, so, yeah, you can freeze stews. You can freeze casseroles. You can freeze lasagna. Rice surprisingly can freeze, but not very long. Um, just watch out, you know, for freezer burn or um, desiccation, which is when foods are drying out. <laughs> okay. That, that's very visible. You can see freezer burn. That's mm-hmm. when those extra icicles yep. um, are forming on the outside. What's happening is condensation is getting trapped inside the freezer every time you open it. Mm-hmm. And that water builds up on the outsides of foods that have been here the longest. So that's where that comes from. <laughs> Interesting. That's good to know. And that uh-huh. can, uh, you know, impart weird flavors, like a like a excess water on, on the thing that you're defrosting. So um, keep an eye. Try to keep an eye on what's in your freezer. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't don't be like me. 
you should be able to see and move things in the freezer. You should be able to see every item and mm-hmm. move things without it falling down. Don't be that's like a, me. That's a good. I think that's a good tip because I feel <laughs> like that's a common thing that like your that freezer can come become like a, a little bit of a wasteland, and you just don't really know a lot of origin stories anymore. And you're like, oh, yeah. it's all frozen though, so it's fine. But also, no. if but and also, how are like how often are you really going to reach for the thing that's been so frozen in there? You know what I mean. At a certain point, you know yourself that you don't want to eat that anymore. Yeah, you know? it's always good to do a freezer clean out on a regular basis. Um, and the reason why you want to be able to move things is uh freeze is uh, air circulation, so that things do get frozen thoroughly, and it's not like half melted or something like that. So I've reheated different things at different times. But I don't always know if there's like a rhyme or reason to why some things are just more adaptable to being leftovers than others. Like, do you have any insight into why some things like reheat better than others? Yeah, it is mostly all about, you know, cell structure, number one, and water content, number two. So leftovers or reheating of leftovers is a controlling of either um, maintaining water content or adding back water content. So for example, um, say we have some day-old rice and we don't want to fry it. We just want to re-steam it. Um, if you just straight up microwave that, it's going to lose more water because over the course of the night, it's it's lost, you know, lost its steam, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, one way to rehydrate or revive leftover rice is to spritz it with a little bit of water and then microwave it and it will be just as steamy as it was the night before ah okay interesting that's good to know because i feel like rice is a difficult one yeah Uh, you can get all weird (laughs) well and regarding structure in in leftover foods so i say structure because i'm thinking about the difference between um vegetable plant cells and Mm -hmm. animal cells so vegetable plant cells are much more delicate (laughs) and um when they break down their walls they release you know the chlorophyll so that's why vegetables become a muted green when um when they get cooked even Mm -hmm. further so they they go through this color change right like they go from um the base green and -hmm. then sometimes they get brighter green because the chlorophyll is being let out of all of the chambers and then as it starts to leave uh, and evaporate, it becomes this duller muted green, as you could see with if you just look at cooked bro- broccoli versus raw broccoli, like right, the color right, right. change is, is very drastic. Yes. Um, but I think about the cell structures and how well those cell structures can hold up after being cooked once and twice. Some dishes are better leftovers than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if it's more protein rich, that will tend to um you know retain its its cellular quality <laughs> mm-hmm. than like uh, you know uh steamed vegetables makes sense yeah there's a shorter shelf life for things that have more sensitive cell structures what is though the preferred way though if we're going to reheat different things this is tough because i grew up with microwaves so like mm-hmm. my vocabulary in the beginning of my life was mostly microwave mm-hmm. but now as an adult and a professional food person <laughs> i do not own one <laughs> Wait, you don't have a microwave at all no it didn't come with my apartment <laughs> that's really, gonna... those those don't come with the apartments you generally had well that's a mix but i'm not gonna go out and buy one my preferred method is the oven um mostly because i am defrosting things afterward i'm using the oven for many other uses i'm not just reheating mm-hmm. like reheating leftovers it's always like the first thing that I do in the day because I always like to eat my leftovers first. I don't know. That makes sense. Yeah. I don't like to, I don't have a lot of traditional breakfasts. I eat a lot of leftover breakfasts. <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, in theory, it's the freshest leftover. Yeah. Yes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yo, Alicia. Yo. That was like the biggest argument for having leftovers for breakfast. Like, stop the presses. That was awesome. Yes. But yeah, I use the oven um, for things that need to keep their moisture. Uh, I put foil over it so that it'll steam itself back to life. If it's like a bread product or a pizza, then it will be uncovered (laughs) in a cast iron because they get so hot. Mm -hmm. Dumplings are complicated 
I love dumplings, but the only mm-hmm. way you can really reheat those is back in the steamer. That makes so, sense. Yeah, I feel like they would fall apart, right? Yeah, or you can pan fry them if you would like to, but I try not to fry so many things in my life now. Mm. <laughs> um, it's I have a age. Comes with age. I know. I have a I have a really convenient rice cooker that um, has a steam function. So there's this insert that I have in my rice cooker. So if I mm-hmm. do want to steam bao buns, leftover bao buns, or leftover dumplings, then I can put it in that that rice cooker basket and steam something very quickly. So those are different ways that I like to reheat things. Is there any like dangerous stuff that can come with some of this reheating? Like, do you have to worry about any food safety when you are reheating different foods? Yeah. So if you don't bring it back up to a safe temperature, then um, for however long it had been sitting, could have developed some bacterial growth. But the mm-hmm. only way to kill that off is to consume it within a reasonable amount a reasonable amount of time and bring it up to the food safety temperatures we mentioned in this episode of culinary word of the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah the fda has rules about leftovers mm-hmm. perfect um you you can you know you can you can uh, exercise some flexibility around them if you know who made the food you know right. you know if you made the food you should trust yourself and yes. and know how good or bad the ingredients were mm-hmm. before you even cooked with them. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And then from there, um, gauge how many more times you can have this thing. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I like the the idea of the portion portioning out things um, after you make something, I think, is like a brilliant idea to make mm-hmm. sure that like it's not you can have five meals out of it instead of trying to reheat something and eating too much food at one time or reheating a giant batch of chili perhaps too many times plus it stores better when they're individual it does store better it does (laughs) it's much easier to move around that freezer quite frankly or the fridge wherever you're storing it okay well that was a lot to say about finishing and leftovers and i'm not surprised that's your leftovers like we said is it's an important topic you know very important topic and after you've gone through learning how to cook all these different meals stir frying something perhaps and then checking to make sure it's safe to eat you know, and then doing all the <laughs> other things, it's then you put it away because stir fry is actually one of those great things to have as a leftover. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Rice bowl. Oh, mm-hmm. love. Left, what else would leftover? Uh, I don't know. There are many ways. Noodles. You could just boil some noodles three minutes and you got a leftover stir fry with that. Awesome. So good. So good. Yummy. Um, well, that concludes season two of Culinary Word yeah. of the Day. What? What? I can't believe you did that. I know. I know. That's so nice. I it's it's great to reflect. It yeah. really is. Because it's a it's been a long project coming, and we are very proud of of uh, yeah. of of all of you for listening. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with us. <laughs> I'm kidding. Well, hopefully, hopefully, somebody out there has made a great meal in the last couple of months or couple of weeks. That yeah. would be that would be very rewarding to know. That, is, that would be very, very rewarding. So please let us know um, mm-hmm. via social media, culinary, W-O-T-D, or on Patreon uh, slash Randwiches. But let's talk about the future, Alicia. Um, so you have some life changes that may or may not have an effect on our production, which is fine. Because we have a little project that we wanted to do before we get to season three. And so yes. we're calling it our... Uh, Season 2.5 mini series. I think that's what I've called it in the file folder. <laughs> if it's in the files, it shall be named. That's, that's show shall it be. We're going to do a little mini series about our favorites, salt, sugar, and pepper. So these are going to be a little bit more involved. Uh, we will do these shorter definition episodes, but I think each chat will be dedicated to a single subject because it's so wide. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, now after our leftover conversation, I'm just like, definitely we could devote one episode each to salt, sugar, and pepper individually. They deserve it, quite frankly. Yeah. They, I mean, they deserve their, their own episodes. Everyday staples for every culture, I think. So, I mean, I think that's like the best way to think about it is that they really, they do touch every culture and they all have their own very fun histories. Oh, yeah. You know, at different times, some were valued more than others. And then- Oh, yeah. Disregarded. That's a little bit how this all started, too, was. Let me give um, you a taste. Let me give you a little taste. 
the word salary comes from Roman military mm-hmm. where they were paid in salt. Wow. Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's delicious is what it is. Hey, oh, Alicia's getting better and better with these stingers. <laughs> pra- it's it's time good. and practice. Well, folks, thank you so much for listening to season two of Culinary Word of the Day. And we will be back in a couple weeks with the first installation of our mini series. I believe we'll start with salt. Yes. <laughs> yeah, um, but please give us a few weeks in between each episode of the mini series because we're also going to start organizing for season three. And so that's going to take us a little bit to organize, put in order, do our research, and perhaps add a new member to the cast. Aww. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah. I'm so excited. I think there just might be more background noise. <laughs> I just can't promise that there won't be more background noise. Which is fine. That's real <laughs> life. I'm okay with some, some cooing <laughs> and wah, wah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thanks everybody for listening to us and uh, we'll see you again soon uh, with a new episode all about salt. Um, All right. Goodbye. Bye.